1 Corinthians chapter 3. And we'll start reading, just to give you a little bit of context, we're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This will give you kind of the gist of where Paul's going with this argument as we go into chapter 3 and down to verse 4. This is God's Word. It is authoritative. It is infallible. It is inerrant. Give attention to it now. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please pray with me. God Almighty, as we've just read, we remember that these words have no benefit to us if they are not accompanied by the work of your Holy Spirit. So our prayer tonight as we consider these words is that you would give us your Holy Spirit, convict us of sin, enable us to repent, mature us, Father, in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, turn our mourning into laughter, Strengthen our joy. Strengthen our thanksgiving. And Father, give us a hunger to dig into this Word which is the mind of Christ. We pray in His name. Amen. One of my great concerns as a pastor is that you, as God's people, are equipped to discern right from wrong, to discern what is true wisdom from that which just pretends as wisdom. And it is easy to look on a lot of the things that pass as Christian worship, Christian preaching in our day, and to become very frustrated, to become very aggravated, in fact, to become very angry. I shared with you in one of my pastor's notes recently that George Barna, who uh, does Christian surveys kind of like uh, the Pew or the Gallup poll. They, he does research from a Christian perspective. And he, he often reaches bad conclusions 
about how to solve problems, but he's good, quite good at identifying what the problems are. And one of my recent pastor's notes, I shared with you that Barna recently said that in a survey of a sample of Americans, that 6% of our population has a Christian worldview. Now, when you limit that to just people in the church, that percentage rises exponentially to 21%. Get your mind around that for just a second. 21% of the church has a Christian world view. That's disturbing. That's disturbing when you consider the number of people who go to church on a regular basis. How does four out of every five people who walk out of church on a Sunday morning walk out no different than they went in? Well, I would suggest to you that one of the reasons for that is that they are not being fed. They are like sheep without a shepherd. But there's another thing to consider. That many Christians are not taking ownership of their own growth in Christ. We're not taking ownership. We're not uh, taking responsibility for it. Maybe we're adopting that uh, sort of old perspective that to grow in Christ means to let go and let God. If I, it's kind of like Buddhism. If I just empty my mind, I will be filled with the Spirit and magically understand more through meditation. Well, that's wrong. That's not how it works. There are challenges for us as Christians to embrace all that Christianity entails. For the Corinthian church, one of the, one of the things that was in their way is that they had embraced Christ. When Paul came, they had professed faith in Christ, but they still had one foot in the culture. And so they were looking for a way as a church to say, okay, how can we be Christians and Corinthian? How can I be a Christian and still be welcomed into the spheres of influence in our culture? How can I be a Christian and still invited to speak at the club meeting? How can I be a Christian and not turn down for a promotion? In other words, how can we put these things together? On one hand, they had heard and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. But on the other hand, they had not completely abandoned their former value system. They were listening to other men. One of the favorite pastimes in the city of Corinth was to go uh, into the town square and philosophers <clears throat> would stand up on the steps and debate. And so if you wanted to look uh, persuasive or influential, you would align yourself with someone that you thought was a really good debater. Now, he might not have made any sense whatsoever, but he sounded good. Maybe he had like Chrysostom, the golden tongue. 
It's kind of like we do today. You wear the t-shirt of the national championship team. Even though you had nothing to do with their victory, aligning yourself with that person gives you some sense of accomplishment. And that's what they were doing. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Christ. Why were they doing that? Because that's what their culture was doing. They're trying to merge the two. And so Paul heard about what was going on there, we learn in chapter 1, and he began to write and did write a letter to this church confronting the things that were going on there, refreshing them on Christian truths, reminding them of what it meant to be mature. You see, they're professing, they're saying, oh, we are wise. As you read the first chapter of Corinthians and the second chapter, you see these terms wisdom and foolishness repeated over and over. Because what did it mean to be influential? Well, you were a man of wisdom. The Corinthian church was claiming to be wise, but in reality, they were fools. Some in Corinth thought that they were very mature. In fact, some thought that they had gone beyond the apostles in knowledge and learning. That they were super spiritual. And here, Paul does not come like he's trimming a bonsai tree. Paul comes with an axe to cut their legs out from under them and to bring those big inflated heads back down to earth. And what he teaches us from this text from 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 through 4, is pretty simple. Fleshly Christians cannot handle solid food, and they are diagnosed by their behavior. Fleshly Christians cannot handle solid food, and are diagnosed by their behavior. Now, uh, let me bring you into this just a little bit. At the end of chapter 2, Paul makes this distinction between a man who is natural and a man who is spiritual. That's why we began at the end there with verse 14. The natural man, you can read the Bible to him 24 hours a day, and you will, he'll never make any progress. You'll ask him, did you understand what I just read? And he might say yes, and then you quiz him on it, and he, he, he can't tell you the lesson of it. He's natural-minded. What does it take to understand the Scriptures? Nothing that you by nature have. To understand the Scriptures takes a total transformation of your mind, which is done by the Holy Spirit. And before that happens, you will not accept one single bit of biblical truth as true to submit to it. So the first thing that Paul says here now is that these fleshly Christians cannot handle solid food in verses 1 to 2. Fleshly Christians cannot handle solid food. Notice what he said there. But I, brothers could not address you as spiritual people. Now, now when? When is that? That he couldn't address them as spiritual people? Well, it's when he first got to Corinth. 
He's saying, I couldn't come there and begin to wax eloquent with you on the deep truths of the Bible. I had to begin, just like you begin with a nursing infant, I had to give you the milk of the Word. Uh, uh, bits of food already sort of chewed up and delivered to you like a baby bird so that you could digest it. I gave you the simple principles, the elemental principles of the Word. And so the first thing that we understand then is when Paul is referring to, notice he uses that phrase, people of the flesh. What are they? Men of the flesh are those who are new in Christ. This is the baby Christian. The one who's just been converted to Christ. The one who has just uh, been born again. Uh, turn over with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. You see another reference here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul wrote there, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. You see, this is, this is the picture of, of the apostle as a teacher and as a shepherd. How does he care for the people of God? Well, like a nursing mother, gently bringing them along in the faith. You know, this is one of the reasons we're reminded in 1 Timothy 3.6. One of the qualifications for an elder is he cannot be a new convert. Why? Because that man is still nursing on the milk of the Word. He's an infant. Or, all right? he, he, he can't teach you the deep truths because he himself, he's still growing and developing in the fundamental Thing. So this is when Paul uh, calls them, going back now to 1 Corinthians 3, when he calls them people of the flesh, this is not a derogatory term. He's not making fun of them. He's saying literally you were people new in Christ. So I fed you what you were able to bear. In, in other words, look what he says. You, you were not ready for it in verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And here we're reminded of something very simple. That the gospel, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that is very simple. It's a simple message. We could sum it up in a couple of sentences, right? You are a sinner. You are under God's wrath and curse. But you may be saved by confessing your sins and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. It is a simple message. Christ died for you. So when people reject the message of the gospel, it's not your fault. It's not because the message is complicated. It's because it takes a work of the Spirit to help men embrace it. It's a simple message. The simple reality is that new converts begin with spiritual milk. And we have to be mindful of that as Christians, don't we? Not everybody has been a Christian for 15 or 16 or 20 years. Not everyone has read through their Bible uh, 15 times uh, once every year and, and has gleaned from it what you have. It is appropriate 
for us to remember that even adults sometimes need spiritual milk if they are new converts. Those who are new in Christ are nourished on spiritual milk. Write down this reference. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. We begin with the elementary principles of the world. There are elementary principles. The basic principles of the oracles of God. The milk of the word. First Peter, he reminds us that we ought to long. You ought to cultivate a longing for the pure milk of God's word. Many years ago, I hated olives. And there was one day I decided that I wanted to like olives. I don't know what compelled me, but I began to eat olives. I just decided I wanted to like olives, so I began to eat olives, olives of all sorts. And now I could sit down and eat through an entire jar of green olives. I love, I love olives. And so there's a Christian responsibility, do you see, to cultivate a love for God's Word. Notice, though, in verse 2, there's a change in Paul's tone. And even now, you are not ready. Ouch. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Even now, you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. Paul began not, not tearing them down, not insulting them, saying a new Christian is still fleshly. He's, he's in, in a sense, just come. He's just been born, right? He's a new baby, a new infant. He needs milk. But here's the problem. You Corinthians, you are still infants, now the tone changes to a derogatory one. Why is it derogatory? Why is Paul calling them still men of the flesh? Because they demonstrated that they still did not grasp the deeper things of Scripture. Instead of moving on to, to deeper issues of theology, Paul was having to reiterate the very first lessons. Instead of being led more and more by the Spirit, these were still a carnal people. They thought like the world, not like Christians. For a new Christian, this was understandable. For one who had been Christians for several years, it was inexcusable. Let me take you back to the language of Hebrews chapter 5. He puts it in, in some different terms. About this, he says in chapter 5 verse 11, we have much to say. And it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You think about uh, maybe an elementary school teacher 
who gets stuck on the two times tables for three years. Do you not yet know? And so you notice that the teacher here is putting some emphasis on the student. This is not a problem with the teaching. This is not a problem with the clarity of the Word. This is not a problem with the teacher because surely by now you've sat under multiple different teachers. Men who could state it in different ways and give you different illustrations. Why are you not growing? You still need milk. Let me give you one encouragement. If you are one who is struggling to grow... Notice as we go back to 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, do you notice that he still called them brothers? Paul is not saying, you're not saved men. There's a different emphasis here. Paul is saying that you, I believe you're saved men, but you're being irresponsible. You're not moving on. You're not doing what you need to do. He's not calling into question their salvation. He does not call them unspiritual. And He does not call them natural men like He had in chapter 2. He is calling into question their effort at sanctification. At growth. Fleshliness or carnality is defined by self-absorption and arrogant self-sufficiency. Many years ago, I fell in love with fly fishing. I watched a movie about fly fishing in Montana and it was beautiful scenery and a poetic movement in the art and I wanted to learn how to fly fish. So I bought a fly rod. I got waders and did everything that I needed to do and I would skip class to go and practice my cast in the creek in Otago County, Alabama. I don't recommend that. Because I loved fishing, do you see? I devoted time to learning the craft. And the question that you and I face here is this. Are we growing in Christ? Is there marked growth in your understanding and application of Scripture on November 21st, 2021 as compared to November 21st, 2020? Paul reminded the Corinthian Christians of this. Your growth in Christ is your responsibility. Are you attending Sunday school? Are you reading Scripture and other books? Do you listen to other sermons? Better sermons? It is vital to your Christianity that you pursue growth. Do you spend... More time listening to sermons than you do to the nightly news. How do we diagnose spiritual immaturity in ourselves? How do I know if I am growing in Christ? Well, there's a pretty simple barometer. If you want to know how much oil is in your car, you take the dipstick, you put it in, you pull it out, you wipe it off, you put it in again, and you look at it next to the measurement. What about spiritual maturity? How do I know if I'm fleshly or not? Well, Paul gives us a pretty simple diagnosis. And our second point then um, is that fleshly Christians are diagnosed by their behavior. 
Notice what he says in verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Here's how Paul says that they are fleshly. He doesn't have to give them a theological exam. He doesn't have to put before them a Sunday school lesson. He doesn't have to ask them catechism questions. He can just look at the health of the body and say, here's how I can diagnose it. You people fight with one another. How did Paul know that they were spiritually immature? Because they're petty. Their lives were defined, especially within the body, their lives were defined by bickering and quarrels and strife. In fact, as we get to chapter 6, do you know what behavior he has to address? They're suing one another. What a testimony. Brother was going to brother in court. Paul said, is there, not, is there not somebody in the church with enough wisdom to help you figure out where the property line is? In other words, they were not looking to the humiliation of Christ and applying His example to their lives. They were not only full of strife and jealousy, they're a worldly-minded people. Notice how Paul closes here in verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? You see, this is the problem. That's what they were doing in the world. This is how they were defining personal superiority, personal value by whom you followed. And they're bringing that into the church. You are being merely human. You're trying to conform to the status patterns of Corinthian life. In our culture, it might be something like this. Well, you've got the old money in Macomb, and you've got the new money in Macomb, and we don't associate with the new money in Macomb. You've got your own culture, and nobody associates with the no money in Macomb. That's what it would look like for us. You still carry a worldly, earthly value system. You're not able to look at other people in Christ. You, then, then you don't understand the gospel. If you're still fighting and quarreling amongst yourselves, then the problem, the problem is not behavior. The problem is your doctrine. You don't understand the gospel. Therefore, let's go back to elementary school and let's look at the basic principles again. In fact, what we find is that the Corinthians were probably criticizing Paul's message because it was too simple. We need something intelligent. We need something intellectual. 
I need something that's going to impress the professor when I go into my uh, class, my sociology class, or my biology class. I need something that's going to sound like I ascended a mountain and met with a monk there and he gave me the secrets of the universe. I don't need the message that I am saved by a man dying on a Roman cross. Too simple. Immature, listen to this, immature, petty behavior flows out of an immature, petty worldview. One of the reasons that I grieve as a pastor is that so many churches are not feeding their people. How can I tell? Look at our country. Do you want to know why people are fighting and quarreling in the streets? Because they are earthly. They act, ministers, like parents who only give their children candy and then wonder and scratch their heads when their children die of malnourishment. Do you want to know why children are leaving the faith? Because we're not teaching them the faith. We want to make people feel better. We want to let them leave the church feeling uplifted and positive and joyful. We don't want to feed them. And the reason that children are leaving the faith is because their parents do not train them in doctrine. They're not teaching them the tenets of the faith. Do you know that Mormon children, for weeks on end, go, they get up early once a week and they go to a family's house and once a week before school, they learn the fundamental doctrines of Mormonism. Pagan religion is doing this. You need a healthy diet of truth. You don't need lights and sounds and fog machines and projectors. What you need is a healthy diet of the truth. This is why Christ gave preachers. Do you know that? Ephesians 4, do you know why Christ gave preachers? To cause you to grow up. So that together we would become a mature man. Go and read Ephesians 4, 11 and following. Another thing to consider, as honest Christians, you and I will admit that there is a degree to which we're all men of the flesh. You, you and I are both clinging to uh, worldly perspectives that we haven't been sanctified out of yet. That we haven't, we failed to apply the scriptures to this perspective. Each of us struggles to be completely consistent with our profession, don't we? And Paul is denouncing those who look at their shortcomings and instead of saying, Lord, I rest only on your grace, they say, you know what, I'm pretty sufficient on my own. The ultimate sign of maturity, listen well, the ultimate sign of maturity is not self-sufficiency. It is the degree to which we glory in Christ. The more you glory in Christ, the more mature you are. He is our righteousness 
He is our sanctification. He is our redemption. And so the question as we close tonight is this, that you should take away, as you think maybe about uh, the new year and uh, making uh, resolutions, as Jonathan Edwards would have done, is this, are you moving to spiritual maturity? Can you see the marks of gospel maturity in your behavior? To what degree are you boasting in Christ? Let us seek to commit together to honor Jesus by abandoning all ideas of self-sufficiency and boasting only in His sufficiency. Let's pray. God and Father, you have infinite wisdom. You know all things perfectly well. You are not a child. Lord our God, you know everything that will happen because you have decreed it, you have determined it from before the foundation of the world. Not only do you you know what will happen, you know everything that could possibly happen. Every contingency. But Father, we come before you as a people who lack knowledge. We we puff ourselves up. We act like we have knowledge. We act like we know things. We act like experts. But in the end, Lord, we are your sheep who need to be fed at your feet and by your hands. And so we come humbly submitting ourselves now, Lord. Help us to put off every pretension and instead... Pursue sanctification. Would you please grant us this grace? We ask for the sake of Christ's honor. Amen.